Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in your word you have spoken. And so we listen and believe. May your word correct our self-guided ideas. May your word tutor our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The point of this passage is that you need to give like the widow and not like the scribes. It's a study in contrast, where in verses 38 through 40, the scribes devour widows' houses. And then in verses 41 through 44, the needy widow gives generously. And so the point is that you need to give generously without ostentatiousness. When you give ostentatiously, that means... You want everyone to notice. And so you give in a way that attracts attention, and it's all designed to impress others. And that's how the scribes operate. You'll notice that the scribes take pleasure in four things. They wear flowing robes to attract attention. They like greetings in the marketplace where people defer to their prerogative. They like the best seats in the synagogue, which is a bench that faces the congregation. And they like the place of honor at feasts, which is on the right and left of the host. You see, the scribes are those people whose pride hungers for human adulation. They bask in the reverence bestowed on them by those of lesser status. And so they choreograph their lives so as to receive special greetings and special attention and special praise. It makes for a life of arrogance that flaunts its learning and status throughout the temple. That's right, all this is happening in the temple. They're so egotistical so as to exalt themselves in the house of the Lord. Nevertheless, the scribe's impressive outward appearance hides nothing from Jesus. That too is something we would be wise to learn. You might think you fooled your neighbor or your friend or your parents, but you haven't fooled God. You haven't fooled Christ. And the scribes did not fool 
Jesus. He sees through them and he points out that for all their pretense, they actually have calloused disregard for the neediest among them, the poor widows. Now we have to also appreciate that this is one of the temptations of people in power. It's one of the temptations of people in power to exploit the weak and to exploit the vulnerable, or at least to ignore them and look down on them, or maybe not treat them as well as we treat that person who can give me something, that person above me. And so this passage is also a reminder for us, for you, Christians, who are in positions of authority. Maybe you're in a position of authority in your business where lots of people look up to you and answer to you, or a position of authority in the church, or in your neighborhood, or in your family. If that's you, if you're in a position of authority, you must understand there's a natural tendency for you to treat those people beneath you differently, to treat them as lesser. That's what the scribes do. But you shouldn't do that. If you're in a position of authority, you should treat every person under your charge with dignity. Now here Jesus accuses the scribes of devouring widows' houses. And these words derive their force from the Old Testament where widows symbolize the helpless. And abusing widows is sternly denounced in Isaiah chapter 10 and Exodus chapter 22. And yet the scribes do it. But then the scene changes from the scribes who devour widows' houses to a widow putting pennies in the offering box in verses 41 through 44. So the scribes are the exploiters. They're the oppressors. So who do they exploit? Who do they oppress? Well, according to verse 40, they exploit and oppress the widows. And now in verses 41 through 44, how do the exploited and oppressed respond? How does the victim respond? How does the widow respond? Well, in this case, the victim responds not by looting and rioting. In this case, the victim responds not by insisting on reparations. In this passage, the victim responds by giving. Very Christ-like thing to do, isn't it? Now, in this passage, they're in the court of women which is that area in the temple where anyone can go. And in this part of the temple, there are 13 chauffeur chests. There are these big uh, chests that are kind of shaped like a trumpet, and you drop your money in the chest. Seven of the chests were, uh, were, were kind of like the tithe, and there were offerings for the various sacrifices and the expenses of the temple. Six of the chests were free will offering chests, and they're placed all around the temple to receive the different tithes and offerings. And so the disciples are here watching things unfold, and Jesus disregards the wealthy donors who throw in large sums, announced by the loud clang their money makes in the trumpet-shaped box. See, the rich are still rich, even after their offering. And so Jesus singles out a woman whose offering makes only a tiny clink. And notice, she's not a widow, she's a poor widow. Has she been robbed of her house? Well, probably so. Why else would it say that in verse 40? So the scribe stole her house 
And here she is with next to nothing giving. And her offering is two lepta. The leptin was the smallest Greek coin. And in this passage, it's all about the contrast. The rich give from their abundance, but they do not sacrifice their abundance. This poor widow gives all that she has to live on, which is next to nothing. Her unassuming piety sharply contrasts with the conspicuous impiety of the scribes. And from this story, we learn three important things about giving. The first thing we learn about giving in this passage is that you should give honestly. You should give honestly. In other words, don't defraud people like the scribes did. The scribes are part of a rigged system. The leaders rig the game so that they have plenty. Meanwhile, widows are devoured and left destitute. By criticizing the scribes, Jesus is criticizing the entire system. When there are corrupt systems, it's usually because there are corrupt rulers. And Jesus criticizes the individuals responsible. Now, this is a corrupt religious system that they're operating in. And the church also, in its 2,000-year history, has produced a multitude of leaders characterized by pride and greed in the same way that the scribes were operating. And so this is more than just a condemnation of Jewish practice. This is broader than that. Jesus' criticism of the scribes is a warning against Christian leaders when they are corrupt also. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, here's the scribes and you know, they're doing these bad things, but since they represent the temple of God, they're too big to fail. So we've got to hide for the sins of the scribes. We've got to cover it up because if the scribes fail, then it's going to seem like the temple fails. And if the temple fails, it's going to seem like God failed and God's too big to fail. So that means the scribes are too big to fail. So we've got to cover it up and not let anyone know. No, Jesus doesn't say that. And the Roman Catholic Church has covered up decades of pedophilia by their priests with that very argument. Well, we can't let this get out. We can't let this get out because it will diminish the Roman Catholic Church in the eyes of the people and the church is too big to fail. So we're just going to transfer this priest and hope he doesn't do any more harm. We're just going to cover it up because the church is too big to fail. The priest represents the church, the church represents God, and we don't want God to look bad, so we've got to cover it up. That's been the argument of the Roman Catholic Church now for decades on why they cover up the actions of their priests. But understand, that argument does not work. It doesn't, that argument doesn't work whether it's for the scribes in the temple system in the first century. That argument doesn't work for the Roman Catholic Church and that argument doesn't work for Protestants. We will not cover up the sins of prominent people or leaders because God's too big to fail. That's not how Jesus operates. Jesus doesn't let scribes get away with wickedness just because they're part of something big and that big thing represents God. Now, when the scribes put money 
in the offering box, it says in verse 44 that they give out of their abundance. But for the scribes, it is dishonest giving because they enrich themselves by stealing from poor widows. And so Christians should give honestly. That's the first point here. First lesson on giving is we should give honestly. We should not defraud people like the scribes did. The second thing we learn about giving in this passage is that you should give mercifully. You should give mercifully. And when we zoom out of just these few verses and look at this subject on the whole in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a lot to say about giving. And one of the things that's emphasized in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that we should be people who give to the poor. You see it in the Old Testament law, it's built in, and you see it also in the New Testament. And of course, we're not sure exactly who the widow was giving to. She had 13 chests to choose from. It doesn't tell us which of the chests she chose. But middle class Americans instinctively turn away from the poor. Middle class Americans instinctively turn away from the dirty and the broken and the lowly and the damaged and the obscure. Usually I think it's because they don't want to mess up their own life. They've got it pretty good, we're, we're doing all right, so we, we don't want to get back into, we don't want to get into that kind of world. So middle class Americans usually try to ignore those things. And that's why we need a reminder that we, in the name of Jesus Christ, should give mercifully. In other words, don't forget to give alms to the poor. That's a significant part of what it means to give mercifully. The word alm comes from the Greek word for mercy. And so alms is giving to those in need as an act of mercy. They're in need. You don't give to them because they deserve it. You give to them because they're in need and you want to show them mercy. And in Jesus' day, giving alms to the poor was considered one of the standard good works of faithful Jews. And for them, giving alms was distinct from paying tithes. So tithes were sort of like a tax that was paid for the support of the temple. But alms were voluntary gifts to the poor. Jesus instructs on how to give alms in Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And in the first century, outside the temple, beggars asked for alms. So, for example, in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John encounter a beggar when they enter the temple gates. And Martin Bootser, the 16th century reformer, he argued that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when the apostles devoted themselves to fellowship, that that included the sharing of material goods, especially with the poorer Christians among them. We read in Acts chapter 6 that the apostles organized deacons to serve the body, which in that case included distributing food to the widows in need. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, it says that on the Lord's day they collected an offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so, what could be more appropriate than collecting money to help the poor? In such an act of mercy, we follow in the mercy of Jesus, who died and was resurrected to pay the penalty 
for our sin, thus giving us the gift of grace and forgiveness that we don't deserve when we were poor, pitiful sinners. And so we must ask if there is a difference. We must ask if there is a disproportion between our expenditures on ourselves and the outlay of merciful giving to others. And as Americans, that's really hard because, let's be honest, we're Americans and so we're addicted to comfort way more than is natural. Our default as Americans is we love money more than we should. We love comfort more than we should. We love the upgrade more than we should. We love the bigger house more than we should, the nicer car more than we should. And certainly the Lord has made a physical world and he blesses us with physical things and there's a sort of maturity and wisdom to receiving the blessings of the Lord in joy and worshiping the Lord because of them and, and using those things to bless others and to bless your family and to take joy in the Lord and his goodness to you. There's wisdom in that. We see that all throughout scripture. We talk about that a lot here. But also as Americans, we have to be honest that there is a temptation that we will explain away the dozens of passages that talk about how we should be generous in giving to others. There's a temptation that we'll explain away passages like the passage of the poor widow giving everything she had. And when we do that though, we end up more like rich scribes who hoard and devour than poor widows who give all that they have. And so, we must consider what the Bible tells us against covetousness and selfishness. We must consider what the Bible tells us about merciful giving to others. Is it for nothing that the Lord Jesus spoke the parable of the rich fool and blamed him because he was not rich towards God? Is it for nothing that in the parable of the sower, Jesus mentions the deceitfulness of riches as one reason why the word bears no fruit? Is it for nothing that Jesus says, make friends for yourself by means of wealth? Is it for nothing that Jesus says in Luke 14, when you give a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Is it for nothing that Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is it for nothing that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive? Is it for nothing that Jesus warns against the example of the priest and the Levite who saw the wounded traveler but passed by on the other side? And is it for nothing that Jesus praises the Samaritan who denied himself to show kindness and mercy to a stranger? Is it for nothing that Paul counts covetousness with sins of the grossest description and denounces it as idolatry? And is there not a striking and painful difference between the things Jesus says about mercy and money and the language, habits, and feelings that the typical American has about money and mercy and giving? By giving to the poor and needy in the church, you can never lose. For you, in that act, are building 
the people of God. You are building the kingdom of God. And we also know from the words of Jesus that how you handle money reveals your spiritual condition. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus tells us elsewhere in Matthew chapter 19 that those who leave everything to follow Christ are promised a hundredfold return and a guarantee that they will inherit eternal life. And so, the Bible has a lot to say about giving beyond just the poor widow and her two pennies. And so why must we give mercifully? Why must we, as people of God, be generous people? Well, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 teaches that the generosity of God is the basis of our generosity. And Paul summarizes it all with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a principle of giving that Paul gives us. It's a principle that should inform our giving. The money we give to kingdom work, the money we give to people in need, is not money wasted. Paul thinks of it as seed sown. It is seed sown for kingdom's sake and our sake. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so when prayerfully considering how much you should give, you should also consider, like the farmer, what kind of harvest do you want to reap? Because if you want to reap a sparing harvest, then you should give sparingly. So if you've decided, I don't want a big harvest, I don't want much, I want to have a, a very meager, pathetic harvest, okay, then give like that. But if you want to reap bountifully, then you should give bountifully. And Paul goes on in the next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, there's more observations here for kingdom giving. Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So notice a few things here. Paul says each one must give as he has decided, each one. And so that means grace-produced giving is an individual responsibility, and that includes you children. A lot of you children earn money doing chores around the house or maybe little jobs around the neighborhood. Well, if you earn money, you should give. And so, if you are earning money, children, you should learn to give to the Lord. And so talk to your parents. How do they give? How do they think about this? How, how do you organize this? How do you, how do you figure out how much to give? Talk to them about that. Learn to give. And if you want to raise someone who's a generous person when they're an adult, make giving a habit. Make it so that when they earn money, they're automatically thinking, what do I get to give to? What, what portion of this that I've earned do I get to give? If they start thinking that way, children, if you start thinking that way now, then when you're an adult, you're going to be a generous person. And so it says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Decided. That means purposed. You're giving to a purpose, namely the kingdom of God. You're not giving like the scribes to win the applause of man. 
No, you're giving to build the kingdom of God. You're giving in obedience to the Lord. You're giving because you've received from the Lord more than you deserve. And so you're giving with purpose. There is purpose. There is kingdom purpose in your giving. And children, you might think, wow, I don't make very much. My, my parents don't really give me very much for the chores I do. And they probably shouldn't. But notice that the widow didn't say, well, I don't have very much, so it's not going to help very much in the temple, my little, my little coin, so I better not give. No, that's not how we should think about it. So it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So when we give, it should not be reluctantly. We are not to give grudgingly. That is, we're to give with a generous spirit. We're happy to give. We want to give. There's joy in giving. There's more joy in giving than in consuming. Why? Why do we give generously? Why do we give with a generous spirit? It's because we serve a generous God. We're mimicking God here when we give. And it also says that God loves a cheerful giver. So we are cheerful givers. As part of our overflow of joy in God, we want to give. And we give cheerfully in a way that contributes to the kingdom and meets the needs of others. And it says that God loves a cheerful giver. When we give in this way, God sees his son in us. And he loves us for we are mimicking Jesus who for the joy set before him gave himself for our sins. And so the first thing we learn about giving is that you should give honestly, not deceitfully, like the scribes. Second, we learn that you should give mercifully. And third and finally, as we close, we learn that you should give sacrificially. You should give sacrificially. You see, the widow gives all. Just like Christ gave all. In giving here, as Jesus comments on the scribes and the, and the widow's giving, giving is measured not by the size of the gift. It's measured based on the remainder. How much is left? How much do we keep for ourselves? How much did the widow keep for herself? The sacrificial gift of the widow points to the sacrificial gift of Jesus. She gave her entire livelihood. Jesus gave his life. And God here cares less about the money and more about the giver's heart. She gave two pennies. The rich people gave a lot more than her. And he says that she gave more. What does that mean? It means that Jesus cares about her heart, not about the total. She put in everything she had to live on. That's what it says. There was nothing left for her. She gave everything. And so Jesus cares about the heart, cares about the soul, the reason, the motivation of your giving. And as Jesus draws the disciples' attention to the widow, he knows that he is about to make an even greater sacrifice. So we close with these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we see that little gifts matter too, and they even eclipse the gifts that count into the millions. Father, we confess that sometimes we're embarrassed when we can only give small quantities, and so we stay home and we don't give. 
May you give us the giving heart of the poor widow who was devoured by the scribes. May we have the generosity of selfless giving like the widow rather than the selfish ostentation of the scribes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.